When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show and our latest batch of listener questions from Harry Kane's Ballon d'Or chances to the USMNT talent pool via contenders for the PASCAS awards for the best ever pass we've got you covered today my name's Ryan Bailey joining me today is a man who has much better answers to your questions than Man United have to the questions being asked of them Taylor Rockwell is that right? It is. It implies that Manchester United have actual answers to the questions being asked, uh, which I'm not sure they do. But yeah, I'll take that. Thanks, Ryan. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. Are you excited that Eric Ten Hag is officially going to be temporarily Man United's manager for a year or so? <laughs> sure. Why not? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I have some I have some hesitation. I'm a little bit nervous. I like all the things that have been put out publicly about how he's refusing to do anything commercial side anything that's being asked of him that doesn't fit in with his football strategy that feels like a thing that's been missing from man united the official japanese uh traction engine sponsor is going to have words about that taylor that's all i can say <laughs> also joining us taylor is, is a man looking forward to answering your questions like fulham are looking forward to getting crushed in the premier league every week next season hello graham Rutherford. hello ryan bailey their, their record i saw it laid out uh, on twitter last night of recent seasons is is just funny, actually. Premier League Championship, Premier League Championship, Premier League Championship. Maybe one day the streak will be broken and they'll stay in the Championship for two seasons. Yeah, just n- never playing Norwich, I think, is their rules now. They're just going to switch places each year. Well, I mean, I'm in favour of that, yeah. I'm anti-Norwich <laughs> now for what they've done to <laughs> Billy Gilmore. Oh boy, another story altogether. But congrats to Fulham, promoted earlier this week uh, with a 3-0 win over Preston. Rounding out our pack for this listener question, a man who motors through your listener questions like Detroit City motors through intimidating US Open Cup ties. Do you like my Open Cup tie reference, Joe Lowry? I do, Ryan. The US Open Cup has been just so, so good. I missed it last year. I haven't sat down and, and watched a full game yet, but yeah, Detroit City moving their way through, I believe the Columbus crew. You had a, a couple of upsets last night. Ex- excuse me, cup sets last night. I USL did. League oh, One yeah. teams beating MLS teams. Uh, RSL went down last night to, uh, I, so, shoot, Northern Colorado Hailstorm, I believe is the name of that team. It's just so good. It's so good, guys. (laughs) It is indeed. Taylor, Richmond kick us through, Charlotte FC through, little meeting, TSS Derby. What do you think? Is that that who drew? They drew each other? I don't think that draw has been done yet, Joe. Am I right in thinking that? Yes, as of recording, it has not been done yet. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, Yeah, I would enjoy that one. Uh, I think it could be really interesting. I think that would be a game that Charlotte could be expected to be confident in, but you never know with the kickers. They they find a way sometimes. They do kick. They do kick. They do. That is... Part of their job description, that is for sure. Um, magic of the open cut, everybody. Good stuff. Uh, one other thing to get off the uh, off the docket, Joe Lowry, Ernan Lasada out at DC United. Uh, your comments, please. 
Yeah, this one shocked me, to, to be completely honest. I, I liked a lot of what Hernan Lozada did in his year and six games, apparently, as DC United manager. He was fired yesterday, as we're recording on Thursday, April 21st. DC United had not been good this season, and they struggled for stretches of last season, especially at the end. But they're, I thought they played good soccer. I thought they, they were a much different and much better team than they were under Ben Olsen for the majority of Ben Olsen's tenure in DC, certainly the latter stages of it. And their underlying numbers were really good as well. So this this surprised me a ton until some of the reporting started to come out. And, and maybe we got a better look at DC United and their club culture in general. So apparently one of the, the main issues here and the breaking point for this team in Losada was that Hernan Losada wanted Steve Birnbaum, captain, to travel in their U.S. Open Cup game to Rochester. And the front office apparently didn't want that to happen. And they overruled Losada's decision to have their captain travel to a game that was on their official schedule and uh, Losada didn't take that all that well and it was called in by Dave Caps- uh, Dave Casper and Lucy Rushton and was sat down and said, yep, yeah, you're you're done here. So I, I think this whole situation gives us a pretty decent idea of the culture at the club and Losada probably wasn't set up to succeed. Now, he did come out and say some things he probably shouldn't have said during the course of his tenure. He called out his ownership and, and called for more money, which I, I think is fair to ask for, but maybe not the most strategic place to be doing that as a first-year coach and the youngest head coach in Major League Soccer last season. So I, I'm certainly not saying he's without blame. His training regimen was apparently very, very difficult, like we talked about on, on Tuesday, Graham and Taylor, about the whole, you know, do clubs help their players get injured? And it certainly seemed like for the beginning of DC's, uh, or Lasada's time at DC, that that was the case. But still, this shocked me. I'm not entirely sure this was the right move, but to be fair to DC, if they don't believe in Lasada and they don't think he can work there, I do think there is some value in, in just moving on to the next step. Joe, if DC want a coach with a difficult, difficult training regimen, how about one day Antonio Conte so I can use the headline ACDC? Done. Consider it done, Ryan. That is the most important part of hiring coaches is making sure the headlines are on point. It is indeed. And you know what the most important thing about this podcast is? Answering listener questions. Let's get straight to it. We're going to get to one from Richard Rolson first up. Richard says, considering his recent form, could Harry Kane be considered the best and most compete player in the Premier League? Huh. And do you think it's possible for him to someday win the Ballon d'Or? Huh. Graham Rutherford, I'll come to you first. Harry Kane with 12 goals and 8 assists this season. I suppose my initial question for you, Graham, is can a striker, by their very nature, be the most complete player in a league? I think they can now, in 2022. Maybe in decades gone by, that, that certainly wasn't... Their skill set wasn't as rounded as other players on the pitch. But but now, I think Kane's case for being the most complete player in the Premier League is, is, is a strong one. He's a great finisher. He's a good passer. And we've seen more and more of that in the last two or three seasons is he going to win a Ballon d'Or at Tottenham? I swear I'm not just throwing shade at Tottenham <laughs> for the sake of it, but uh, unlikely, I would say, just because players who win the Ballon d'Or usually play for winning teams and not just winning teams, teams that win everything. And I'm not sure Spurs, even with Conte, are going to be that that club anytime soon. So, yeah, I think Kane is, is up there as one of the most complete players. I would also put forward Virgil van Dijk as another candidate for the most complete player. What What is Van Dyke bad at? Nothing. He's physically imposing. He's quick. He's good with the ball. He's composed. He's a leader. 
I think he's pretty much the perfect centre-back, to be honest. And then another one I would mention would be Kevin De Bruyne. Yes, everyone knows about his technical ability, um, but I think he's more physical than, than people give him credit for as well. He's got that going for him too. He can run, cover a lot of the pitch and drive past players. And he's good at shooting and passing and crossing and everything pretty much. And he's a leader as well. So um, those are, yeah, I think Kane has a, has a candidacy, but I'd maybe put Van Dijk and De Bruyne ahead of him. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, Graham. It's going to be... Uh, the De Bruyne kind of character, maybe like a Mason Mount or even, I don't know, even like a Saka. Is that more likely to be a complete player, sort of a midfielder, attacking midfielder? I'm, I'm not sure Saka is more of a complete player just because maybe of his, his like lack of physicality mm-hmm. um, or not lack of physicality, but he's not as physical as, as some other players. But I think certainly a, a central midfielder like De Bruyne who is, is asked to play, you know, mid, midfielders by trade are two-way, two-way players. They have to do a def, a defensive, they have to do stuff on the de- defensive side of the ball, sorry, and on the attacking side of the ball. So they, they are always going to have a little bit of an advantage, I think. All right, Big T. What is um, what are Erling Haaland and Robert Lewandowski going to have to do to have Harry Kane ahead of them in the Ballon d'Or queue? Uh, not play anymore, <laughs> I would say, uh, or play for way worse teams and not have good seasons. Yeah, I think they're going to be uh, pretty well ahead of him in the Ballon d'Or voting. I do, I do wonder sometimes if English players maybe have a little bit of ground to make up because I'm not sure how much FIFA and the rest of the world loves awarding England things. Uh, no, no shots even attempted at Ryan. I just do wonder if there's a little bit of bias Apart from there. Finals, but I think for if, if, um, if Harry Kane were to win, maybe if like Tottenham won the Champions League and England maybe made the final, that seemed to be enough for Luka Modric to be in the conversation. And then obviously his ability backed that one up. So I think it would require. Success either in the Premier League or in the Champions League for Spurs and then success with England to be in consideration because even when he was scoring tons of goals uh, when he was kind of first breaking through and he's one of our own and all that, I still think he wasn't really in those types of conversations. I think Mm. you have to be next level when you're playing that position, doing what he's doing to truly make it into that sort of listing. Joe, do you agree with that? I mean, ultimately to win a Ballon d'Or, you have to win some team silverware. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that's going to happen with Harry Kane. But at the same time, he was close, apparently, to a move to Manchester City last summer. So maybe there is a move that he has left in his career to a club that can help him do things that Tottenham just realistically can't help him do right now. So I do think it's it's possible that Harry Kane can win the Ballon d'Or someday. I just think it's really unlikely, right? Robert Lewandowski and Karim Benzema are both a few years older than, than Harry Kane, but I think they're both better strikers and they certainly play on better teams now. And then as those players sort of phase out, you have Holland and Mbappe, who both seem poised to win that trophy and kind of just repeat the Messi-Ronaldo cycle if Holland can stay healthy, which is a, a major question mark around his career right now. So I, I think it's possible, just really unlikely, that Harry Kane does that. As far as the complete player thing, I think he has a great argument for being one of the most complete players, especially one of the most complete forwards. But even in general, the most complete players in the league, great movement in the box, great passing range, great mobility, things that, you know, along with the things that Graham already touched on, compared to other forwards in the top five leagues, Kane's in the 85th percentile or higher, according to FBRF, in XG per 90, XA per 90, shot creating actions per 90, progressive passes per 90, dribbles per 90. And he's really close in a couple of other categories as well. He's a phenomenal player, and he feels like a guy who could very easily do a Gonzalo Higuain at Inter Miami, not just because he might end up playing at Inter Miami, and Gareth Bale apparently might end up playing at DC United, which I didn't mention earlier today, according to reports. Anyway, sorry, I got way sidetracked there. Harry Kane could do a number 10 job, it feels like to me, even now, but especially as he loses a little bit in his legs and just might more naturally drop into central midfield and play some really nice balls in behind. 
I think he's a great player. Sadio Mane and Bernardo Silva are, are two of the other guys that come to mind for me as mm-hmm. being really complete, versatile players. But Harry Kane is certainly up there. I think Richard is certainly onto something with what he's asking. Joe, before we leave this question, I'll drop a scenario on you. Tottenham make top four this season. Oh, um, I know where this is going. Here we go. England go to the World Cup, win it. Kane is captain. Kane is top scorer. How does the Ballon d'Or voting look there? Uh, I mean, it probably looks like Harry Kane in the top three. I think that kind of season and and your club or international team success is enough to get you into the top three. We saw that with Jorginho recently. I'm not sure it's enough to get you the trophy. But at the same time, Ryan, I think the Ballon d'Or is kind of a joke. So, sure, (laughs) he wins it. Good job, Harry. (laughs) <laughs> uh, ultimately i'm inclined to agree with you there joseph thank you very much richard for the question uh peter venturato says looking beyond qatar with the usmnt talent pool getting younger and deeper what are some names we should be on the lookout for and who might they replace from the current depth chart taylor do you hear that already looking beyond qatar the vision the vision what do you think taylor yeah, that's never gotten us into trouble before looking ahead <laughs> past uh, an upcoming tournament or an upcoming opponent. Uh, but I understand where it's coming from. And I think, uh, to some extent, a lot of the names that will be there in 2026 are names we're already talking about. They're names that we've talked about when we do our Americans in Action scouting reports. Uh, for example, Kevin Paredes, we, uh, Graham and Joe and I broke him down. That sounds bad. We analyzed his footage uh, and talking about sort of what he's done well, what he needs to improve on, how we expected him to do at Wolfsburg. And he is a player who I would say we should be looking at maybe for 2022, but much more likely for 2026, 18 years old, can play at left back and play at left wing, uh, is currently at Wolfsburg where he has, I believe, one appearance so far since making that move. But he had 41 appearances for DC United as a youngster. And I think that is a, uh, he is going to be a very important player for the U.S. going forward. And I think the same may well be the case for somebody like Justin Che, 18 years old center back, uh, now on loan at Hoffenheim, uh, will be there for uh, a good little bit of time. And then they can make that loan permanent. But he's previously played for Bayern. I should talk about players that aren't just defenders, but I do think Justin Che and Kevin Paredes will be uh, big performers for the United States. Again, maybe not in 2022, but in the years thereafter. Hmm. Graham, any other names that I've only vaguely heard of? I think uh, Gagas Lonina is surely a, a good bet to be the USMNT's yeah, we'll first choice goalkeeper. Yeah, by the time 2026 <laughs> comes around. Although on the basis of this week's news, which is what I yeah. think uh, Taylor is referencing, US soccer will need to be quick to ensure he's not poached by Poland because the Polish FA have sent over their head coach to meet him this week and, and last week and uh, try and get him to play for, for Poland. Um, so that's slightly concerning given that Slonina is quickly earning himself a reputation as the US's next best goalkeeper. Kept uh, five clean sheets for Chicago in MLS this season and he's 17 years old. And his rise is happening at the same time that questions about Zach Steffen are growing and Matt Turner is uh, sidelined with frostbite. Let's just call it frostbite for the sake of... Uh for, for the sake of easiness. Um, so, yeah, I think Slonina is certainly one. Another player um, I would put forward, Paxton Aronson. Um, obviously, his brother is someone we know well, Brandon Aronson. And he looks to be very talented, like Brandon as well. And uh, Caden Clark. These are these are players who are already who have already been recognised by the senior team in, in one way or another. Yeah. So maybe names that people have heard of before, but none of them are really um, mainstays of the of the of the squad. Never mind the team. So Caden Clark, 
surely another one who's probably looking at the 2026 World Cup. Obviously, he's got his big European move to, to RB Leipzig. He is now back on loan at the Red Bulls. Um, so maybe he is he's coming into that squad for 2026 and is maybe a better option. Certainly a different player than Paul Ariola, but in terms of his ceiling and his talent is maybe a better option than Ariola. So maybe that's who he replaces in the depth chart. There we go. A quantum of solace for US fans, by the way, looking at the goalkeeper situation. Poland's coach was also over um, for Charlotte's game at New England, looking at the Polish players on that team as well. So it wasn't just coming over just to come and um, sweep away a certain goalkeeper. Joe, any thoughts on this question? So I had Gaga Slonina on my list as well. And as far as players he, who he could replace on the depth chart, all of them is the answer to that. <laughs> I think it's the answer to actually a, a lot of these players. These are high potential guys and we haven't fully gotten a chance to see them enough to poke holes in their game. But Gaga Sonina is incredibly talented and really highly regarded across not just American soccer, but global soccer. So I think he's he's certainly in contention before the World Cup, but but most likely afterwards to really get some looks in that goalkeeper depth chart at any of the the spots one, two, or three. Jonathan Gomez is a name that I have at, as a left back. He plays for Real Sociedad, yep. came over from Louisville City in USL. 18 years old, really skilled left back, technical, can come inside and combine, can overlap as well. And he has one cap for the U.S. back in that December friendly against Bosnia and Herzegovina in uh, in California. So I think Jonathan Gomez is another guy who could replace anyone on the depth chart. Jedi, I don't think will be phased out anytime soon, but I do think Gomez gives you something different. And that might be enough after he gets some reps in La Liga, still hasn't played in La Liga. He's played a lot for uh, Real Sociedad B. But I think Gomez is someone who could really climb up that depth chart. Richie Ledesma, 21-year-old PSV player, dealt with a couple injuries this year, but I think is a name that a lot of people know. He's extremely good on the ball, very technical, was another part of that USU 20 World Cup team uh, in, in 2019 that would have been. I'm not sure he'll directly replace anyone because he's kind of a tweener in his position. He's probably more of a, a traditional number 10 then he is a number eight or a winger. I think he's played a winger under Berhalter before, but that's that's assuming that Greg Berhalter is even going to be the coach after 2022, and we don't know that yet. So it's hard for me to predict where Ledesma might go, but I think he's certainly one to watch. And Keaton Parks as well, 24 years old, so certainly not not really young at this point in his career. He's an established pro at this point. He's another change of pace option for the U.S. He's a fantastic ball progressor with both his passing and his dribbling, maybe the best in MLS at that. Certainly top three at moving the ball forward, which is a very straightforward thing, but also a, a very important thing for any team. He doesn't have the mobility that I think Greg Berhalter wants from his central midfielders. You see Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and Eunice Musa all starting midfield. Those are guys who are going to cover ground. Musa is probably the, the least athletic of those three, and that says something. So I don't think Parks fits Berhalter's current vision for those three. Maybe he does. Maybe, maybe he doesn't. I'm not entirely sure, but... I think it would be nice to get a look at him either before or after the, the World Cup in Qatar. Uh, one more player that I wanted to mention before we move on uh, is one that I'm not very familiar with, but I was reading more about him and I got excited. Uh, Malik Sonogo uh, or Hassan Malik Sonogo. Uh, he was born in New York when he was one years old, moved to Germany when he was one and I think has been there since, is also eligible for the Ivory Coast, but plays for Union Berlin or doesn't play for the Union Berlin senior team yet. But at 17, I think has made some friendly appearances for them, is getting appearances in their academy, and has played for the U.S. at U-20 level, I believe, when he was 16 or 17 years old. So I, I think to have a center forward who's coming through a Bundesliga academy and could make that breakthrough, that's the kind of conditional phrasing there is it could happen, it might happen. But I think anytime you have a, a young 
uh, American eligible player who's playing for a Bundesliga club who could break through and it's not Schalke, I get a little bit excited. And again, a six foot tall center forward when he's only 17 feels like we could be moving towards something exciting. Wonderful stuff. Exciting times ahead. Thank you very much, gents. And thank you, Peter, for the question. Back with more LQs after this quick break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. Quinn Fitzgerald says, Recently in the NBA, Drew Holiday started a game to commit a foul eight seconds in and go back to the locker room to fulfill a contract bonus for games played. (laughs) Strong. I like that. Are there any soccer examples of odd things happening to fulfill contract requirements? Graham, this is a tricky one because I'm not sure that exact equivalent thing happens in soccer. I was thinking of things that some t- old things that happens in game, like the John Terry retirement game where he went off after 26 minutes, oh, 26 yeah. on his shirt. Not contractually obliged, but obliged because John Terry, John Terry, John Terry. Um, and I think there's more examples, Graham, of players who didn't play. Um, players who are benched or not played for a certain amount of minutes because uh, their club will have to pay a previous club more money if they do sure. so. Yeah, and, and I thought of an example in Scotland last season. So Motherwell stopped playing a, a Scotland international called Declan Gallagher um, a few weeks a few weeks from the end of the of the season because he if he played one more game, a clause in his contract would have activated an extension and evidently they didn't want him to extend his contract. So he sat out the last few games of the season so that that clause wasn't activated. Um, and at lower league level, um, talking about my club, Sterling Albion, Players are primarily paid in appearance fees, and so a team that is winning easily will, you'll quite frequently see them, if they haven't used their subs, they'll make their subs in, even in stoppage time to ensure that those guys get their, get their appearance fee or their winning bonus. So that's at quite a low level. The other example I thought of with, in, in relation to this question, it's not necessarily a contract requirement, but um, you need five. You need to play five games in a season to get a Premier League winners' medal. So you will mm. fre- frequently see teams that have won the title with games to spare give fringe players or youngsters who are on the verge of that threshold games so that they get their medal. I've always thought that's a silly rule, by the way. The Premier League can afford to just give every player that features in a season a medal. Just give them the damn medal. But anyway, five games is the threshold, so you'll quite frequently see that at the end of a season. That's a good shout, Graham. The other one in terms of appearances I thought of was um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain at Arsenal. Reportedly, Arsenal had to play Southampton. They had to pay him £10,000 every time he appeared, every single time for 20 minutes or more. And listener, I recommend you go to Transfermarkt and look at Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain time at Arsenal and the amount of 71st minute appearances he made so he's on for 19 minutes or so is quite hilarious Taylor where did you go with this one uh, I think Graham covered a lot of what I had I think the more common one is the idea of a club not wanting to 
uh, play a player, either because it's going to trigger a loan-to-buy option or it will trigger a bonus. You don't see that publicly talked about. If you search for that, which I did in a number of different ways, it's really hard to find because obviously teams don't want that to be public because I think that's probably grounds for a lawsuit, if nothing else. Uh, but you will get those sort of strange substitution patterns, as you mentioned, Ryan, with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. And a lot of that I didn't realize until I was researching this question has to do with the player's contract stipulates the number of minutes that uh, defines an appearance. And so sometimes if it's a generous contract, it will be 20 minutes. Sometimes if it's not a generous contract, it requires 45 minutes or 50 minutes to be a full-time appearance. And that is where you get those kind of strange substitution patterns occurring. So I like those little uh, variations. And I'm sure there's other examples throughout world football history, but I did not have time to read several books to prepare for this one. <laughs> uh, Joe, I've got a few quirky examples of insertions into contracts, but I shall uh, let you have the floor before I get silly with this. Sure, I'll do just a couple. So one is Dennis Bergkamp, who wasn't a fan of flying, had a, had a fear of flying oh, yeah. that he publicly talked about. And so he uh, he signed his contract with Arsenal and said, yeah, I'm not going to go on airplanes. And so he did not. He moved around by trains or other forms of transportation during his time there under that contract. So that, that was one example I had, which is a, a little strange, but also, you know, respect it. If you can make that happen, go for it. The other one is Stefan Schwartz, who was signing for Sunderland. In 1999, they had to insert a no space clause, as in you cannot go to outer space clause into his contract to make sure that he did not go into outer space during his time as a Sunderland player. So apparently the background here is one of Schwartz's advisors, someone, someone close to him had purchased tickets to a commercial spaceship that was supposed to launch in 2002. (laughs) And Sunderland was worried that Schwartz was going to go along and they knew that, I guess, most standard contract insurance clauses and forms of contract insurance wouldn't cover injuries in space. So they they said, you can't go, and he did not go. Those are my two weird ones. There's a bunch, though. Ronaldinho's had some. Mario Balotelli's had some. Luis Suarez has a no-biting clause. I mean, there are so many of these. Go look it up. It's good fun. It is good fun. And and with Bergkamp, I remember there was a story back in the day when Arsenal had a European game. I think it was in Istanbul. It was certainly sort of Eastern Europe. And it took him like a day and a half to get there on trains. And um, the rest (laughs) of his team took like two hours to get there. I can imagine imagine Bergkamp sitting there during the Champions League group stage draw, just thinking like, (laughs) please, Rangers, PSG (laughs) and uh, Club Bruges. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, a a couple of the quirky ones. You mentioned Ronaldinho, Joe, um, when he was at Flamengo. Mengo, his contract stated he was allowed to go to nightclubs twice a week without repercussions, because that's uh, what he likes to do. He was the king of nightclubs. He still is. Uh, Giuseppe Reina, when he signed for Arminia Bielefeld, um, he asked in his contract for every year of his contract, which was three years, um, Arminia Bielefeld had to build him a house. And this was back in 1996. He asked for a new house every year. Uh, the club, what, every year? Every year. The club actually obliged Graham. Yep. They built the house out of Lego. It did not stipulate how they would build it and out of what materials. So they got around it. I have so many questions. Did they build it in a street? You know how Michael Owen bought his family a street in Liverpool? <laughs> Is that what Rossi was trying to get at? He wanted a cul-de-sac of houses that Armenia Bielefeld bought, uh, built for him over the years. Uh, I don't know what he wanted, but what he got was some plastic bricks. Uh, The other one I've got is... um, Sorry, Graham, you just made that make sense. Because I've heard that story before, and it it has always seemed ridiculous to me. Like, what, you want a new house every year? That's so much moving, man. You don't want to do that. But you're right, if he is like... 
trying to be a, a property developer a la Jamie Vardy or something, and he wants to like slowly own a subdivision, then maybe that's how you do it. You just have the club build you one house a year. You play there for 15 years. You got a 15-house subdivision, and now you're a medium or a, yeah. a real estate mogul. It all makes sense. Good job. And, good stuff, Graham. and after a while, you're like, okay, this year I don't want a house. This year I want a sewage system and an electricity <laughs> substation. No, that's it, Graham. He's actually a big Monopoly fan. He was going to build four houses, and he could build a hotel. Right, right. That, was the, uh, that was the plan. Uh, one other one, um, Spencer Pryor at Cardiff City, the crazy owner, Sam Hamam, who was Wimbledon's owner as well, because I like to crowbar them in here. Uh, he's a Lebanese businessman, was Sam Hamam. He still is. Um, and in many of his contracts, including Spencer Pryor, it was contractually obliged that um, he would take in a Lebanese meal, including sheep's testicles. Um, and Spencer Pryor famously cool. didn't want to do this. Uh, and he went and did it, and he filled his con- contractual obligations and was later told it was just chicken. So there you go. <laughs> That's funny. That, That's like objectively that funny. funny. That's yeah, good. Sam Haman was quite the joker. Thank you very much for that question, Quinn. Here comes a question from Calvin Lazum. Which current player would you most like to see as a player manager? Taylor, I shall start the ball rolling at James Milner. I don't know why. I just think it would be great. Uh, do you expect <laughs> me to pick that up? Because I feel like we can leave it there for James Milner. Because that's about the uh, the the profile he has. Is we can just say, yeah, yeah, James Milner, and leave it at that. There you go. There you go. He, he's, he <laughs> no, might- I mean, I see. I see what you mean. He's played for a number of different clubs. He's got a ton of experience. He seems to be a fairly steady presence for Liverpool and and does the job that's asked of him. So I think he would bring that steadiness. I wonder about the disposition. Uh, like when Ryan Giggs took over for those four games at Man United and his infamous team talk that was basically mumbled <laughs> and very quiet. Like I could see James Milner going that route. So maybe he just needs to channel the James Milner aspect of his personality and yes. really bring it out. I do think a Liverpool teammate of his is a player that I would really like to see as a player manager and would one like one day like to see is just a manager, it's Thiago. I think for mm. playing for Pep Guardiola at Barcelona, for, at Bayern Munich, but then to go and play under Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, yep. I mean, it's two of the best managers of the modern era. And I think to get two different, very sty- like very conflicting styles at times, very similar styles at times, but also the personalities, I think, are, are similar in a lot of ways, very different in other ways. And so to get that blend of experience and how he would go about structuring a team that, like, High intensity presses all over the pitch, but then also is tiki taka. I just think he could bring a lot of interesting things to a team, especially if like Jurgen Klopp had to, I don't know, step away for a month and in comes Tiago, the player manager, to fill those boots. I think he could do just fine. I I love that. Tiago, he's so hot right now. As uh, his slogan. <laughs> well, I'll, what I'll say is, um, I, I was on a Bayern Munich tour of the US uh, a few years back, and I interviewed Thiago. And then I saw him again on a different uh, Bayern Munich tour day in Charlotte. Like three days later, uh, I saw him in an elevator, and he came up to me, shook my hand, and he remembered my name. And I thought, you are a classy dude, Thiago. <laughs> He was very, very classy, very, very intelligent man. So I think he could do a very good job as a manager and indeed a player manager. Great shout, Taylor. Uh, Graham, what you got? <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, what I took from that is you think he's the next Ferguson because yep. he remembered your name. 
Uh, yep. <laughs> and he made eye contact when he shook my hand. It's very important. Graham. This guy's a star. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, unfortunately, Ryan was saying that about himself while shaking the <laughs> to be To be fair, a lot of like highly paid soccer players, no, you're I don't right. think they, three days later, I don't think they would have no, done that. No, you're, you're totally right. You're totally right. Yeah. The, I think the question is sort of, does that propel him into managerial ability? But yes, you're right. That good was man, like a good, good man management of strength. A good human being thing to do. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Graham, go on. Yeah. Um, so this might be a slightly strange suggestion because he's only just burst through as a teenager, but I'm going to put forward Jude Bellingham. I think uh, whoever signs Jude Bellingham is going to have a superstar on their hands, not just because of his ability on the pitch, but because of his like leadership and intelligence. And has anyone heard Jude Bellingham speak? He talks like he talks like a veteran who's seen it all, and he's still only 18 years old. So. I kind of feel like he might be an, an excellent manager, which is obviously a long way off given that he's, he's 18. But if, if a manager had to step aside and hand it over to anyone, then, uh, yeah, I'd quite like Jude Bellingham giving a go. And then yeah. the other one, the other suggestion was Tyler Adams, who kind of strikes me as quite an intelligent guy, probably put a decent team on the field. So two Bundesliga options. And when I was thinking of names for this, it struck me that every time you have a player who takes over as an interim manager following a, a managerial sacking, it's always a veteran player. And what if it was just the player with the best managerial chops, regardless of their age? Would that not be more fun? So like teenagers as managers, Nagelsmann, you know, eat your heart out. Where's your electric <laughs> skateboard now? I like the idea of Bellingham. I'm, I can't remember if I've heard him speak, Graham. Does he have the Peaky Blinders accent? A, a little bit, yeah. yeah. But honestly, you should catch Jude, Jude Bellingham speaking because you have to remind yourself that he's he's a teenager it's ridiculous it's ridiculous he there's he's got presence about him already and that's why i say whoever signs him is going to have uh, a leader for the next like 10 15 years i'm just is he I'm, from he's, i didn't know jude bellingham was from the midlands i assumed he was from manchester he's a birmingham legend right because he came through their system and they he, retired, they retired shirt his number. shirt number Oh, that's right, of course. Yeah. Duh. I forgot he was with Birmingham City before. Just that. imagine right. him. He goes back to Birmingham, Taylor, as player manager when he's, I don't know, 23. And he's like, boy, order of Jude Bellingham. Track your man on set pieces. I could I could picture him doing, like, in the locker room, doing the, is it Tommy from Peaky Blinders who does the, uh, I will edit it for this show, uh, no fighting, and just going around to every single player saying no fighting over and over and over again, and then punching a, a club steward, obviously, to bring it home. Uh, I like the Jude Bellingham uh, shout, Graham. I also like that from now on, when we're talking about a youngster who speaks beyond his years, we should just call that doing a Lowry, because I feel like that's Joe as well. Joe could be a yeah. good uh, player manager. Let's make that happen, too. Yeah, First, sure. I got to start playing. You know, yeah. that, that's a slight... Yeah. Here. Semantics. <laughs> what do you got, Joe? How about how about Juan Mata? His name hasn't come up yet. Juan Mata is a decent shout. I think he might provide Manchester United more value right now as a player manager than just as a player, given that he's not <laughs> actually playing. But I guess he could check both of those boxes. <laughs> another another player I've got is is to one up Taylor slightly is Ilkay Gundogan, who has played for both Pep and Klopp, like Thiago. He's also played for Thomas Tuchel during his time at Borussia Dortmund. So I, I kind of went about this, at least with Gundogan, trying to think of players who have played for a ton of really good, high-profile managers. And Gundogan was the one that came to mind first. I think he would actually do a very good job. He sees space very well. He can move into a bunch of different positions on the field. And I think he has a really impressive tactical understanding. I don't know what his personality is like. And Ryan, we, we kid, but I do think the ability to relate to people 
is a huge part of coaching, right? Julian Nagelsmann mm-hmm. talks about that. If you can't understand people and work with people, it doesn't matter if the tactics that you know. It doesn't matter how you can set up a team because they're not going to listen to you. So I do think that is important. I don't know if Gundogan would do that well. I don't know if Thomas Muller or Sergio Busquets would do that well either. But I have them both on my list. Muller pops up in a ton of different spots and is a very good player and has been for a long time. I think he would be fun. He's just a weird dude as well, which makes this experiment even more fun. And Busquets, I, I think I don't really need to say much more than that. He's been the pillar of Barcelona through a number of really high-profile managers. Played for Pep Guardiola, is now playing for Xavi. I could sort of see him doing a Xavi and, and kind of keeping the Barcelona era of that, that really great era alive through the future. Did, did anyone see that recent video of Thomas Miller doing the dressage with the horse? Did anyone, no one see that? No. no. You know when, when horses do dressage, they kind of flick their feet out in a kind of rhythmic fashion. Sure. He's standing face on with a horse and just copying the horse doing that over and over again. He is a strange, strange guy, but I, I love him that's so much. Him, that's him relating to, to the people and things around him, Graham. Again, he's going to be great. He can, he can understand sure. people. He can understand horses. He can flick his the feet out. I mean, he's perfect, guys. Andy Circus plays, I forget the guy's name, uh, in 24 Hour Party People, who's constantly recording weird stuff to, like, be a better sound engineer. There's a thing of him just recording the air. And I feel like Thomas Tuchel is the type to, like, watch a horse run and be like, I could learn from this. I could learn (laughs) equine physics and be a faster player. That feels like Thomas Muller, which probably would make him a good manager. So I'm into that. The other really random one I had, Graham, for a moment, I was like, are we going to say the same player, which would have been very strange odds, uh, is let's say Bielsa is sacked at Leeds and Jesse Marsh, I don't know, can't take over for a month. So they needed a player manager. Uh, for some reason, Luke Ayling strikes me as a person that would be very, very good in that role. I think a lot of that is from the Leeds All or Nothing documentary, but he seems very charismatic. He seems pretty high energy. He seems like a popular figure in the dressing room, was also a favorite of Marcelo Bielsa, so I would assume internalized a lot of those lessons, but I think would bring a bit more lightheartedness to the training uh, and to the approach. And so that combination, I could see him being a little bit like Wayne Rooney has the backing of the players, uh, but also has a little bit of the pedigree and a little bit of just uh, knowledge behind it. So Luke Ayling was my other strange nomination. Nice. I like it. In the meantime, Graham has sent a video to our group chat of Thomas Muller so teaching a horse to dance. <laughs> he is, uh, and I don't, I don't, I'm not sure who's leading, whether the horse is leading the action or, or who's mimicking who, but it is wonderful. The, the man to Horse management is superb, so I think that will be serious <laughs> skill. Is it not even his horse? Because his wife like raises horses, right? Isn't that what yeah. he yeah. does with his money? Yeah, that, that's among other things. Yeah, <laughs> this is amazing. I I'm presume, so happy right now. I presume they have a stables in their home, so he's familiar with them. Taylor, maybe I don't know. I cannot he stop watching there. this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right there with you, Joe. I need to turn this off because otherwise I'm not going to contribute anything to this show. Not that I have yet, but uh, but I definitely won't anymore. Well, here's to hoping, Taylor. We're going to take a quick break uh, for 20 <laughs> minutes or so to watch this video. When we come back, yep. more listener questions, including my favorite listener question of all time. It pertains to hot takes. Back soon. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think... I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are taking in your listener questions, including this one from Ashton Johnson. Inspired by Luka Modric's pass against Chelsea in the Champions League, who would be the other contenders for a Pashkas? Award. A Pascas Award. Excellent stuff. If they were to give one out, ask Ashton. And, and what are some of the best all-time passes? Uh, Joe, I'm going to start the ball rolling with the king of the Travella, uh, Ricardo Quaresma. And the, the most uh, wonderful assist example I found was in a Portuguese warm-up game for Euro 2016. Quaresma assisting um, Cristiano Ronaldo with a with a outside of the boot cross, which Ronaldo met with a diving header. It is absolutely wonderful. There is where I've set the benchmark, Joe. Okay, I like that one. And I'm a sucker for an outside of the foot ball. And that's that's sort of what Modric's was. It was top and outside of his of his right foot. Just so, so good. That's a great one, Ryan. Caresma is just a, a brilliant player. And he's someone that is is so fun to watch. So I think that's a great pick. The first pass that came to mind to me when thinking about the Pascas Award is Marcelo versus Atletico Madrid in 2016. And this isn't like a game-breaking pass. In general, it's kind of mundane in terms of the situation. It's Real Madrid versus Atleti in the in the Champions League final. Marcelo throws the ball in on the left side like a normal fullback in Real Madrid's half. And the ball is played right back to him. And Marcelo hits a first-time half-volley switch with the outside of his right foot to Danny Carvajal on the right side. I don't know if you guys remember this. This is just etched into my mind for some reason. It is so beautiful, and it is the past I always think of as being this perfectly satisfying ball. It doesn't like it doesn't change the game. It doesn't break the game open, but it's so beautiful to watch. The swerve that's on that ball from Marcelo is is just incredible. So that was the first one that came to mind for me. The one that I actually think is is my Pascas Award, and I I dare someone to beat this. I just send it in the in the Slack chat if anyone hasn't seen it. It's oh. Benjamin Pavard for Stuttgart versus Greuther Firth in the second Bundesliga back in 2016, I believe. Pavard gets on the ball in the middle of the back line in Stuttgart's half and hits a through ball on the ground, not through one line, not through two lines into attacking midfield, through all of the lines to Carlos Mane, who scores. It is unreal. It is the most satisfying pass I've ever seen in my life. It is better for me, 
than the than the Luka Modric pass. It is better than anything I've ever seen Ricardo Caresma do. It's better than anything I've ever seen Leo Messi do. I love this pass, and I think it is the best one of all time, at least on wow. film. Um, I think, gents, that Joe has just answered the question. We should we should add this when we tweet out our episode because it is quite incredible. Graham, any other noms? I also had the the Pavard pass on, on my list. I also have a, a Lionel Messi pass against Celta Vigo a few seasons ago. He is he's so deep. He's basically on the halfway line. And I wouldn't say Celta Vigo are even that high, but he manages to split the defence with this incredible pass and he finds Alba at the back post who, who finishes and, and it's a, a brilliant assist. I think one of the best things about it is the camera angle and the replay is right behind Messi. It's it's actually not a camera angle I'm very familiar with, so I'm not entirely sure why it was there in the first place, but Messi cam picks up the, the kind of angle of the pass and how he's got basically nothing to aim at. So that was another uh, candidate for me. I found another, uh, uh, an excellent pass from Pogba to find Antoine Griezmann for a uh, a goal for France in an international friendly and outside of the boot pass. I'm a sucker for an outside of the boot pass, which is why I love that Modric one. And even, even though I think Joe's objective argument about the Pavard pass is, is strong and maybe that is the best pass objectively. I, I just can't see past an outside of the boot pass. So, so I'm, I'm going for Modric still, but, uh, yeah, the, some, some crackers here. It was actually quite difficult to, to find the best passes because, of course, unlike goals, there's about, you know, a thousand passes in, in in every match. So it's it's kind of difficult to assess the best ones, but those are the ones I'd put forward. Taylor, you have dropped something in our chat. Tell the listener about it. I don't know if it's the be- the best one of all time, because I think Joe is right. That Benjamin Pavar ball is is just incredible. But I think there is something for just a well-hit pass, regardless of if it ends in a goal or if it ends in a ball out of bounds from a person who can't control it. In this case, it's Vincent Company playing... I think in a Frelgium, in a Frelgium, a friendly for Belgium. There we go. Uh, and I think it's against like the rest of Europe. I'm not quite sure what's happening there, but it's a ball back to him. He's playing uh, at center back company and he lifts it up to himself and then hits a good like 40 yard volley on the drive to the feet of uh, Dries Mertens, who brings it down with one touch. And I think it's the, the beauty of the touch is part of it, but it's just that like sort of self lift and then volleyed pass that is perfectly weighted. Th- those are so lovely. And I agree with Graham that it's hard to find individual passes because they're usually done in such quick compilations and you don't get a ton of time to savor it. But I think that one was one in just watching a ton of highlight reels that I really enjoyed. The other two that are more personal, um, you could pick out a number of passes from Marco Echeverri. Uh, the one I would go with was against the Chicago Fire in 1998 when he was playing for DC United. Uh, it's a ball in for Richie Williams, but it splits, I think, four different players. And then Williams probably could take a touch and score, but instead, I think gets a touch, but maybe just dummies it. And it's one of those that he dummies it, the keeper bites on the dummy, and it rolls into the side netting the pass. So I'm counting it as an assist and a goal. But the way he sort of dribbles and dribbles to pull in a bunch of defenders at Chaveri and then splits them really expertly. It's a lovely, lovely ball. And the other one, a personal connection, uh, is from the, a personal connection as though I'm best friends with Eric Cantona, is from the movie <laughs> Looking for Eric, uh, when he's asked, uh, I guess this is the imaginary friend Eric Cantona has asked for his favorite moment as a player. But supposedly this is true. It's none of the amazing goals he scored. It is a, like, like little like dinked lobbed pass over uh like a a very compact defense for Dennis Irwin to run onto and score against Tottenham but it's just a lovely weighted little chipped ball and it's the very like Cantona flourish she makes it look really really easy when it's an incredibly difficult bit of skill to pull off and then of course is really just 
calm about it afterwards. Like, yes, of course I did that. That's what I do. Uh, so I love Eric Cantona. I love Marco Echeverri, the man who introduced me to the phrase, that ball had eyes. I think it was about <laughs> that ball against Chicago Fire. So I love those two, and I love those two assists. I love that. And if we're going historic as well, Taylor, I think a man who would have made the Pascas nominee list many times would be David Beckham. Uh, oh, yeah, these Real Madrid sure. days. Uh, there was that one particular. I mean, he's done many, many incredible crossfield passes to like Raúl for goals. There's there's whole YouTube videos dedicated to this. But there's one game uh, in the Copa del Rey against Real Zaragoza uh, from 2005-06 um, where Beckham is on the right wing and he puts this curling pass. It's not. It's not. It doesn't have a lot of height, but it's got a lot of curl and it goes straight into the box for Ronaldo R9 Brazilian Ronaldo to get on the end of with the volley and it's. Just a stunning goal, and it's all about the beauty and the weight of David Beckham's pass there. And I think there's probably many others, yeah. Taylor, for the, he, in and, his canon. And the velocity that he would get on them with the spin, it reminds me of like in fighter jet movies where they have to show you that they've locked on first, so that's how they communicate. Like, okay, now he's going to shoot. Uh, <laughs> and that always reminds me of Beckham, that Beckham seemed to have this like targeting system in his brain where he just knew exactly where the ball needed to go and then could put ridiculous spin, ridiculous speed on it, but it would end up hitting that player perfectly in stride or perfectly on their head. Uh, yeah, I, it was it was magnificent to watch, and I think you could uh, yeah hand him that award a couple different times. You certainly could. Good stuff, the Pascas Award. We should... Uh... Mm-hmm. We should make like that an actual thing, if, uh, even though we've established that the Ballon d'Or and Pushcast and all those things are nonsense, right, Joe? Yeah, but this one's great. I love it. It should stay forever. <laughs> I really enjoy that because we've been sending these, now I just have this loop of incredible uh, balls being played, and then Thomas Muller staring at a horse. It's yes. a really strange uh, thing we got going on in the TSS Slack right now. I'm into it. It's a real sea change from the usual nonsense in our Slack chat. <laughs> Thank you very much for that question. Uh, what, here's one, an excellent one from Zach Lippert. I'm going to take a deep breath for this one. What are your hottest takes on life, podcasting, and soccer in general? Lads, I've got a few. I'm not going to hog the floor. <laughs> Graham, I'll let you go first. Okay, so on soccer, first of all, Dennis Bergkamp didn't mean it. Uh, secondly... Pep Guardiola doesn't have... Okay, so, sorry, rewind, Graham. Lay out the context here for for me and maybe someone else out there. What? So, the most... Well, certainly one of the most famous Dennis Bergkamp goals of all time is his goal against Newcastle in the early 2000s, where he takes a touch and kind of spins his defender and then finishes nicely. He didn't mean the touch, is my hot take Mm. on that one. It's It's a moment of brilliant, brilliant improvisation, but there's just no way he means that touch when it comes into him. He reacts so quickly to to it that it makes it look intentional. But I've always believed he didn't mean it. It wasn't intentional. I don't, Anything else, Graham? I, yeah. Uh, uh, wow. Pe- Pep wow. Guardiola doesn't have good dress sense, despite other people telling me that he does. That big cardigan he wears, awful. It looks like he's come dressed <laughs> as a big cat. A big, a big cosplay cat. And I tell you what, Ten Hag is going to show Guardiola up in the fashion stakes next season because I quite like his look. It's quite kind of, uh, it's quite sort of Jesse Marsh, but slightly less uh, American. You can dad. say American, like, yeah. le- like less less Ryan Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think I think the difference is Marsh wears his. I, I was trying to figure out what the difference was, and Marsh wears his trousers straight down, whereas I've seen Ten Hag fold his up. Slightly. That's the difference. That's why Ten Hag is his style is slightly cooler. Uh, Jesse Marsh is more sort of Connecticut, and uh, and Ten Hag is more sort of Portland. That's that's the difference. Impressive. That was, that was good, Graham. Yeah, exactly. Geographical what have you done? knowledge, right there. <laughs> Joe, what do you got? 
Okay, so I'm I'm not as spicy as Graham, I guess, with some of these takes. Those were really good. But as far as my soccer takes go, we'll start there, and then maybe we can loop in the others. Um, I think those those added minutes of extra time, those 30 minutes, they should go away. They're always terrible. I do not like them. They are not mm. fun to watch. That should go bye-bye. And speaking of what would happen after extra time normally, let's just skip straight to penalties, and let's bring back the old-school shootouts. This is not that hot of a take. I think there's a lot of other people that would back me up. But penalties are are a brutal way with their with with the way they're currently constructed they're a brutal way to end a game i think you show more skill and you have a better chance to like actually practice and and create a repeatable bit of skill if you're using the run-up style i know it looks silly and i know that it's really associated with american soccer in the 1990s and and even before that i guess but it is so good and so entertaining and i I think it would add a whole nother dimension to the game and to training I think that absolutely should happen. So extra time should go away and you got to bring back the old school penalty shootouts. Nice. I like that. That's also on my list. Um, anything else, Jack? Those are, those are my soccer ones. Ryan, do you want me to dip into the others or no? Sure. Why not? Okay. My, my most passionate takes, my most passionate life takes are generally about food. And I, I think I've shared oh, this yeah, before, but Buffalo sauce, you know, the stuff that people put on their wings. Oh, no. Is Bad start. Terrible. It is awful. It no, is, Joe. it is one of my least favorite foods of all time. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't I, rather starve than eat Buffalo sauce, but they're like, they're in the same region. I can hear Taylor's rage from here. Yeah. I can, I can I hear mean, the unsubscribe Joe's button being things today. Uh, Joe's just saying. They ask for the hot takes. They're going to get the hot takes. That's one of them. <laughs> uh, pie, not like meat pies, like Graham, although I do love those. Pie, like okay, fruit good. pies are the Joe. best desserts. They're the okay. best desserts hands down. They're fantastic. Oh, and pineapple on pizza is good. That's that's the end of it. Those are my three. They're all food related. I was sucking. Up. I was hungry when I prepped for this show. That's listen up. Listen up. Please don't turn off yet. Don't turn off yet. We've got more stuff to come. And Taylor. <laughs> Joe, oh, buffalo sauce. If you had <laughs> slandered pie... It, oh, no, that, I love it, pie. We might have had a problem. I love you it. and I. We didn't have wedding cake. We had wedding pies. That's that, a great That move. is how much I enjoy, uh, yes, n- normal good pie, not the nonsense that Graham's eat, Graham eats. Just kidding, Graham. I love a meat pie as well. <laughs> um, speaking good. of food, one hot take. Uh, I don't know if this is a hot take or just an opinion, uh, but the Food Lab cookbook is the greatest cookbook of all time. It's I think it's one of the few things I've ever seen that has... It has like 8,000 reviews on Amazon, and all of them are five-star. If you are looking for a very good cookbook that will teach you how to make a lot of things and make them from a person who has made them 4,000 different ways to land on the exact right way to make it using science, uh, that is the way to go. Uh, other hot takes would be that the Beatles are fine. The Always Sunny podcast is one of the be- best podcasts ever made. Keurig coffee makers are trash and should probably all be thrown away. <laughs> and uh, am I editing this episode? I think you are, yeah. All right. Uh, then <laughs> my final one would be use your f- turn signals it drives me <laughs> insane that is my hot take we have turn signals for a reason they're to tell people what you're gonna do as opposed to just cutting them off on the highway use your turn signals people that's my hot take taylor um i, I might have to take an italian driving test soon and i'm pretty sure that stalk by the steering wheel is not on their test i don't think they're aware of what they are <laughs> i'm not oh, sure what, it's what on is the this u.s thing? one either what is the stick i don't know oh, what it makes a clicky for. noise that's oh. fun um so i'm about to lay on you a couple of my hot hot soccer takes Go for it. Um, I'm saying this is a 38-year-old. Old people don't how to know how to watch soccer. Retweet. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's a lot of older generation people, particularly in England, I would say, don't have an appreciation for tactics, for analysis, for stats. They think it's just about the most talented players turning up and vibing their way through. 
And if you listen to people in pubs, if you listen to people in, I don't know, certain in-laws' houses, which I might be in right now, um, <laughs> then that's the um, that's the kind of thing you get. And does anyone know what I'm saying here, Graham? Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, totally. Okay, but good. old people pay my wages, so I'm not going to slander <laughs> them so much. <laughs> very true. Very true. Uh, my second soccer hot take uh, is quite hot. International soccer should be scrapped. Uh, makes more time for the domestic game that's the game that we all watch week in week out it's what we really care about more importantly it would take FIFA's power away I think that's a big reason for scrapping it entirely give it to UEFA the big bad Ryan's (laughs) trying to take your World Cups away everybody don't do it Ryan I'm Uh, okay with taking one country's World Cup away (laughs) (laughs) what do you know about World Cups Graham anyway um I, I don't like. I don't love the jingoism and the nationalism. You know, destroy borders and boundaries. I say, and destroy international breaks. So that's my th- my, my second hot hot take. I did warn you; it was very hot. Uh, a couple of milder ones. Sir Bobby Robson's the greatest man who ever lived, not just manager, but man. England would have won. That's milder. Euro- that's yeah, definitely. Uh, England would have won the Euros if it wasn't for Giorgio Chiellini. Um, Why do you love Bobby Robson so much, friends? Watch, watch some documentaries. Watch the more than the manager documentary, Taylor, and you'll get an essence of the man. Not just wasn't he? He's one of the. Re- he shows that you don't have to be like awful to be successful in terms of leadership. He was like the kindest man, but also one of the most successful. Look at the way that Mourinho talks about him. Look at the way that Brazilian Ronaldo mm-hmm. talks about him. Uh, just dig into him. He really, really should have won the World Cup in 1990. Well, That's another hot take of mine and another story. Oh yeah, altogether. I understand that he's very important. I think what I'm getting at is, I believe you've just followed up international soccer should be abolished by talking yeah, about and- a man you love for at least partially <laughs> what he did uh, on the international yeah. level. And what he also, and also, level. He's an old man that watches football as well. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, gentlemen. Touche. Fine, cheesecake's the best dessert. That's, well, yeah, that's true. That's wrong. No, that's, that's wrong. Jill, I, the the buffalo sauce combined with your the crab song from Moana is not good. It's, I, it's I not just not good. It's ter- It's also terrible. Those things are, are both like on my top three things that I hate in life. Wow, so bad. They're so bad. Wow. It's not it's good. good. We were shiny. We no longer are after that comment. Yeah. I hope I, mean, not. I don't want to be shiny if that's if I'm associating with that. Well, I, had a, I had a film take as well, and my hot take is maybe firing some ammo back at Joe is that uh, Marvel films are actually bad, and I believe Joe likes Marvel films. So I there do. you go, Joe. That's that's for Flight of the Concords. I do like that's Marvel for, films, uh, but I also do get that take. They sort of run together after a while. They do. Oh, and related to that, my final take is that no movie should be over 90 minutes. Oh, I'm with you on that yeah, one. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I get bored. I have a short attention span. My phone is ruining me, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like how Joe on, uh, was it Tuesday, Taylor said he hadn't wa- he hadn't watched more than half of Encanto. <laughs> I true. presume because it was too too long. But, you know, Joe watched 26 hours of MLS over a weekend. <laughs> you know, Grim, I, I do have some unhealthy habits. I admit. I totally admit that to you. Uh, the, the only other take that I have here is is about podcasts. Not about podcasting technique, but about listening. The only way that I'll listen to podcasts is on 1.25 or 1.5 speed. I think that's the only – I just have too many to listen to. I think at one speed, people are talking too slow. Got to gotta move them along. So I don't know. That's not – that's just more of an opinion than it is a hot take. But, Zach, it's it's my opinion. So when you're listening to This American Life, it's like uh, Ira Glass is speaking at a normal cadence. Like one and <laughs> that's, a half. The, that's the issue is there's just too much slow talking and to sound dramatic. And yeah. I've got places to go and people to see. I, I like Joe going around in the real world thinking everyone's talking really slowly. 
I take my confused. AirPods out for the first time all day at like 3 p.m. and I'm wondering why everyone's really, really sluggish. <laughs> Joe just sees the world differently. He's like the world's greatest midfielders. Time just slows down for him. There we go. That's exactly um, right. That does conclude listener questions. Or does it? Bonus question time. Uh, ding, ding, James ding. Chocker, Taylor Rockwell, uh, has a question mm. for you. Which of the office's pranks or Brooklyn 99's heist plans could you best adapt to interrupt Ryan Bailey's all-powerful three lines jog on the morning of November 25th? (laughs) Uh, Which, of course, will be the morning of uh, England playing the USA in the World Cup. So what do you think, Taylor? Put Jack Grealish's Mm. hair products inside a jello a la Jim Halpert, something like that? What do you think? Uh, Oh, I I am targeting this specifically at you, Ryan. I'm going oh. to disrupt that jog. Uh, and I need you to understand that I put more thought into this question than pretty much all the other questions today. Oh, we really oh, do. I, <laughs> I, was, I was pitching it as the team going for a run in the morning, but it's me and my jog and me listening oh, yeah. to three lines. That way I understand. And you are going to hate my answer because I thought a lot about the, the heist episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I thought so about good. a lot of the pranks of The Office. And I'm going to go with a thing that would be inspired by both of them. I think in The Office, Jim sort of starts to learn what will annoy Dwight more than other things and plays into those. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I think Jake in Brooklyn Nine-Nine does the same. He learns the captain's ticks and the little things that will bother him. And that's what I'm going to focus on, Ryan. I'm just going to, while you're sleeping the night before that game, uh, do a lot of little things to just start your day off the wrong way. One of them would be I'm going to file down your shoelaces so that when you go to tie your shoes, they both snap. So you have to find new laces. That sets your run back. I'm going to steal all of the coffee out of your coffee holder. I'm going to leave the container so that you open it and then realize you don't have coffee. I'm going to slowly adjust all the plumbing valves so that you only get very minimal, almost insulting amounts of water coming out to slow down your day. Uh, I'm going to dress as a shoe salesman and sell you uh, really heavy shoes and then make them increasingly lighter every single day. But then the day of the November 25th, I'm going to make them really heavy again. So then you'll feel like something is wrong. You're feeling sluggish. I'm going to disconnect your charger. I'm going to uh, disconnect your your headphones. And then I'm just going to call you every 30 seconds and play you various clips of Americans doing things. I'm just going to kind of find little ways to insert myself into your day to make it a rough one. Note to self, if sharing a room with Taylor in Qatari <laughs> cruise ship, uh, do not do that. <laughs> um, Taylor, there's only one thing you could do, actually, which would completely mm. throw off my job. Just leave one of my AirPods out of its case so it, so that's on 0% and the other one's fully oh, charged. that's the worst. I can't yep. go out with one. I just can't do it. I said, I had maybe just steal one of the AirPods outright as, as one of the possibilities <laughs> for ways to torture you. Uh, I, I am trying to think like what music would annoy you. Oh, Taylor, I don't just, really. I, I got it. I got it. Just play Don't mm. Tread by Clint Dempsey and whoever it was that he, he sang that with. <laughs> just delete, delete everything Delete off all phone. of Ryan's songs from Spotify or Apple Music or whatever you use, Ryan, and replace each one of them with Don't Tread. It would be a full Brooklyn Nine-Nine heist level effort to like slowly change where you're paying your cell phone bill, Ryan, so that you, <laughs> your your phone gets cut off on the exact right day so you can't stream anything. And then the only song that I've put on your on your iTunes is Don't Tread by Clint Dempsey. There we go. That would be the perfect level of planning. <laughs> Hope you're happy, James Joker. Ideas have been cast. Uh, I don't like, like the sound of this one iota, but I do love this this episode and all the questions that have been sent. TotalSoccerShow.com slash questions if you want to send more in. Thank you very much, dear listener. Thank you very much, Taylor Rockwell, even though I'm not letting you near my shoelaces. Uh, th- that is fair. I'm glad I've come up with Ryan's worst day. And for Joe, I guess I'm just going to play the crab song on a loop while feeding him buffalo wings. 
Thank Ouch. you, Joe Lowry. You think you know some people. <laughs> thank, thank you, Ryan. Thank you. <laughs> and Graham Rutherford, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan Billet. Listen, we'll be back on the feed soon. But for now, bye. Bye.